There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about IVF, infertility, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we are both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello! Hey guys. You right? Yes. How are you? I am alright. Good. How are you guys? You out there? So rude. No one's no, answering. just ignoring us. Oh well. Let's shoulder on, shall we? Okay. Um, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hello. Uh, it's a, a, as you just said off mic, a game of two halves today. Yeah. Um, we are starting off with an incredible author called Julia Bueno. Yes. Who has written a book called The Brink of Being. And it is about miscarriage. Yeah. And... We sat her down and basically kept her in my living room for an hour and a half while we asked her every question we could think of about miscarriage and baby loss and pregnancy loss, whichever term you prefer. Um, And we talked to her for so long (laughs) that we've had to cut the interview in two. Yeah, we've got a a, a double whammy. We have. You'll get the second half next week. Yep. Um, It's a difficult listen, I think. It's not easy um, because it's not an easy subject, but I think we were both very aware that only, you know, we've covered it once before relatively recently, but we didn't quite get as far as we kind of wanted to with mm-hmm. it, I don't think. And obviously a lot of our listeners, you've a lot of you have written in to tell us what happened to you, to, to talk to us about your baby loss, and we just felt that it was something we needed to give more airtime to. So yeah, um, so yeah we got two episodes which hopefully i think is it's i think it's important for people to listen to even it's hard but i think it's important and even if you haven't experienced pregnancy loss it's still i for me like i haven't experienced pregnancy loss but i found it very profound yes and also she she talks about infertility and failed ivf in the same breath as she does pregnancy loss yeah which I for me was amazing actually yeah because there's a lot of people that have suffered that yeah even if they haven't felt like they suffered baby loss Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's we cover lots of different forms of grief um and yeah I mean hopefully you know a lot of you will find it helpful yeah uh and then we move on to talk to professor tim yeah um about something altogether more silly yeah so let's just say it's a kind of we lighten the tone for the second half well yeah and I hope you know it's because the first half is such a kind of emotional listen I hope you guys understand that we're lightening the tone rather than uh flippantly dismissing it yeah absolutely um but we are I will warn you talking about blowjobs yeah um but you know we'll we'll let you discover that later yes yeah um other than that we do have some parish notices yeah we've got something serious to talk about yeah 
We wanted to tell you the plan. The plan. <laughs> um, Serious music. <laughs> we're going to take a break in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's... If all goes to plan with what we have in the schedule, yes. there are probably four more episodes after today's. Um, it's going to be a bit of an extended break. So last time we were off for a month. This time it's probably going to be a bit longer. And probably until the kind of autumn time at least well i think listeners know why we're taking a break it's because you're going to have a baby i'm going to have a baby and i think realistically we need to, we don't know when we're going to be back because we don't know how that's going to be i've heard having babies quite hard yeah i'm not i think people are being over dramatic but whatever that was a joke that was a joke we're going to take a break. We've got some projects on the go at the moment as well. Yes. Which we hope to bring you after the break. But we also wanted to say that we've got kind of a plan. When we do come back, the plan is to stop talking about ourselves and our journeys, as we have continued to do. Because people have asked us to, um, to be fair, but we recognise that it's pregnancy in a infertility podcast it's a bit much isn't it yeah so we whilst we wanted to kind of finish the series continuing as normal we will come back hopefully with someone else to tell us their journey yeah or you'll just hear from us like talking about other stuff yeah we will continue to be your hosts but we will stop talking about the intricacies of our own personal wombs. Yeah, because I think we've definitely got Um, beyond the point where we can reference infertility. We'll be talking about other people's wombs predominantly. Absolutely. Um, But we'll still be bringing you the heady mix of us giggling at blowjobs and expert views that we have always brought you. Yes. Anyway, um, that just leaves us to say... It would be great if you could rate and review the podcast. And subscribe. And subscribe. And follow us on social media. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. On Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. On Facebook. Big Fat Negative. Or you could email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. Nice one. I want to say enjoy the podcast. It's, it's not quite the right word. No. Um, yeah, I hope you find the podcast useful. Valuable valuable yeah. and you might enjoy the the blowjobs a bit yeah julia it Hello. is such a delight to have you yes thank you for coming thank, thank you for you having so me you've had a little nostalgic trip to Nottingham. i have i'm a west londoner at heart oh. um ripped away to north london but it's lovely to be back <laughs> good 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 um so i feel like we're gonna have a long conversation today and it's you know this is a topic that we really have needed to cover in more detail and last time we covered miscarriage we got emails like a lot of emails from people saying I was disappointed that you didn't cover this particular aspect so we're gonna try and cover them all we might we probably won't be able to (laughs) strap in (laughs) but we're gonna really try apologies in advance yeah exactly um but to, to begin things you know we we always ask people to tell us about their kind of journey to either becoming a mother or not becoming a mother um, can you tell us about your story? Yeah, sure. Um, I My story began, as it does, by meeting my partner. Um, we were very young when we met. And after about 10 years together, I met him when I was 18, actually, um, we decided to have a baby to get pregnant. Um, it didn't happen immediately, like I hoped it did. It would. Um, it took about a year um, when it did um obviously we were absolutely delighted uh i had some spotting early on in the pregnancy i had before that been i should say uh diagnosed with a uh a, a unicornary uterus okay. um i've skipped that bit of the story forgive me <laughs> um i'd uh had some suspicions i had very kind of irregular cycles and i had some checkups before but mm-hmm. i'd been diagnosed with this funny shaped womb but okay. pretty much told to kind of crack on and get on with it and things would be fine and what does that mean unicornary? a unicornary uterus means that it's 
I think uh, it was described as sort of more banana shaped. Okay. Um, it was sort of skewed round to 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 not quite half a uterus, but it was sort of skewed round. I have one fallopian tube. Okay. And one functioning uh, um, ovary, and I have two functioning ovaries, but my other fallopian tube never fully formed. It was okay. a bit mangled, and it was actually kind of removed when they investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, it was given to me in a little jar. Uh-huh. It was yes, it was not the, the the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. No. Um, so, uh, yes, in terms of getting pregnant, I knew I had this sort of wonky womb, but I was encouraged to sort of crack on, um, got pregnant, had some spotting early on, where I had a scan, an early scan revealed that I'd conceived twins, um, which was alarming. Um, you can't see me down the podcast, but I'm not <laughs> of great build. Um, and the pregnancy was a bit fraught, actually. I had a lot of a very heavy bleeding in the first trimester, and I was in and out of hospital having scans. Mm. Um, which showed that I the babies were fine and thriving and growing, but I had a my what was explained to me at the time um, that my womb had stretched quite rapidly and a big sort of um, hemorrhage had formed in the womb lining, and that okay. that was cause the cause of the bleeding. So, um, it, you know, it wasn't the most kind of relaxing of pregnancies, but then at about four months, um, the bleeding stopped, and a scan showed that that it had gone all okay. was well. So that was then we could breathe a sigh of relief and get on with with kind of settling into our plans of doubling our family size mm-hmm. um and then at about things were good and fine and happy and at about 20 weeks I um went to have a pee and I was so used to looking behind me in the loo having had months of bleeding mm. um I saw something a bit odd um a bit of some greeny lump of flesh and thought that doesn't that isn't right marched the gp sort of suspecting something was awry but um also um, sort of in denial and thinking that it would be fine um i was frog marched to the hospital and it was um to by this stage i was being looked after um by a lovely doctor who'd been sort of scanning me all the way and he spotted that my cervix was beginning to open i subsequently learned that that was that I ran a higher risk of having a weak cervix with a unicorn or a uterus. Okay, right. It hadn't really been flagged up to me at the time. <clears throat> so I had an emergency stitch put in that night and was sort of sent home to kind of cross my fingers and hope that it would hold. Nobody could give us any prognosis or, you know, stats on that, just mm-hmm. cross your fingers, um, which is what we did for a couple of weeks um, until I woke up in the middle of the night in, in labour. In agony. And this is weak. This was in my 22nd week of pregnancy. Okay. So my first, um, so, and, and that, as I explore in the, in the opening of my book, was my first miscarriage. Um, I went into uh, the labour ward that night and um, so I think some efforts were made to, to stop labour, but my body was really kind of in the throes of it. And I delivered... Uh, my first twin a few hours probably about five or six hours after arriving that night and um, my second baby came uh, a few hours after that so a kind of pretty grueling experience of a mm. of a what's what was called a miscarriage what yeah. is called a miscarriage yeah. um, I then went on to um, I mean we can talk about that more of course but mm. I then went on to quickly conceive my son um who and I was closely monitored for that pregnancy given what had happened mm. and I did have another stitch put in during that pregnancy um, at about 24 weeks when it showed my cervix was going um, that thank goodness held for a month and he mm. was born at 28 weeks not ideal no. um, a few, bit of a grueling um, time of that he's now 16 and he's just done his GCSEs um, mm. and after his birth I had three other miscarriages and um, by this stage, I'd had a different stitch put into my uh, womb. It's called an abdominal suture. It's it's less commonly done, um, and it just it has to be done sort of through um, an operation um, rather than up through the vagina where a rescue stitch is put in. It's much. It's a stitch that goes much higher up, so okay. the purchase is much better and mm. the prognosis is better. In fact, there's a lot of research still going into it. Okay. Um, but. Uh, Yes, I still had a miscarriage with that stitch in, but um, my 
I always have to count this in my head. My sixth pregnancy um, went to term and I have a, a son who is now nine. Okay. So, yes, I've had a variation of, uh, of pregnancy <clears throat> losses. Mm, so two, six pregnancies, two sons. Yeah. And did that experience inspire you and lead you to to what you do now absolutely so um in the wake of my first miscarriage uh which kind of as you can imagine sort of ripped through my life and Mm. blew my mind um i was very cross and feeling very um sort of activated to, to sort of campaign for more for better awareness and i felt very isolated very lonely very unsupported very misunderstood um, my first stop was to contact the Miscarriage Association, a charity that still exists and I'm still involved with, and um, became a sort of support volunteer telephone support. I actually wrote about it at the time for a Sunday national newspaper about my experience. Um, but meanwhile, I was sort of dithering about a, a career change, and um, I, I, sort of that, I think that experience really kind of galvanised me into training as a psychotherapist and specialising in the area so yeah it was a kind of key part of of all of that but also but but my first miscarriage also led me to my own personal therapy um so that was also entangled so we get emails from people who've had very early losses we mm. get emails from people <clears throat> who've had late what as you had what's called late miscarriages. Mm. We get emails from people who've had stillbirths and we Mm. get emails from people who, like us, have never been able Mm. to conceive. Um, Those feelings of grief, I mean, there's feelings of grief involved in all of those. Absolutely. Can you equate those? Are they the same thing? I mean, you talk about hierarchy of grief in the book, which I think is a great term. Well, I I do, not not because I have one, (laughs) but because I think... uh, people experience that very much that there are there's a hierarchy of grief full stop outside of the realm of pregnancy loss um and i think it's fair to say that in our culture that certain griefs are are respected more than others so you know if you know your elderly grandfather dies then it's sort of slightly always had a good innings and etc or you know a grief for a pet I think is completely disenfranchised we were talking about that last week yeah yeah so and I think a lot of um it's it's it took a really really but maybe there's a bit of history that's worth it but it took a really long time for people to get their heads around that um women and indeed their partners can form an extremely strong bond and attachment with their unborn um, prior to birth yeah so it took you know well into the 1980s before kind of medics and researchers sort of got their head around the fact that a woman who would have a stillbirth after full term might be a little bit upset about this and mm-hmm. there must be some Seems grief insane it is insane and there was this also a culture of of women not being able to see their babies they'd be sort of taken away you know mm-hmm. they're their dear crack on and go have another one I, I think to be fair to some of the doctors and you know i have spoken to an elderly obstetrician who was very much in that culture it was with a benign intent to think this is the best way to, for the woman to, to recover. Of mm-hmm. course, we now realise how bonkers that is. So so that kind of history sort of sets the scene that there was this sort of... So any kind of loss prior to birth was completely kind of minimised. And yeah. um, But uh, I, I'm really loath to, to ascribe any uh, 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 weight, you know, weightier grief to, to anybody's experience. A grief is a grief is a grief, and it's a personal one. Mm-hmm. Um, grief's a funny thing, isn't it? It's it's we share so many commonalities, but yet it's it's individual. Um, and I know just through my ex- my personal experience, and I you know already said to you, it took me a year to get pregnant, and I remember what it felt like mm. getting my period every month, and that mm. felt like a little death. It really did. Um, such as my desperation to conceive. Um, and I also remember sort of, and I, I'm not alone, but um, to go back to go back to my experience. So that's my personal experience, but my professional experience is such that, you know, I, I know that the grief is really, really real when uh, we can't conceive and that child in mind is lost each month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, going back to individuality, I also know women who have miscarriages uh, who might not grieve actually yeah 
they might experience it as a kind of reproductive bump in the road. Mm. I write about, um, in my book, I write about my mother's experience, which she kind of shared with me. She had three miscarriages in between me and my younger sister, who was 17 years younger than me. Um, And she can't explain it to this day. She's now in her early 70s. She doesn't mind me talking about this because it's in the book. But she she, um, describes two of her miscarriages as mini pregnancies. She didn't have, uh, she didn't grieve them. She didn't mourn them. She didn't relate to them as such. That's that's the term she uses, which might be sort of odd one to understand. But her third miscarriage completely floored her. And she still mourns the loss of of a... she was convinced it was a daughter. She named it, named the baby in her head. Uh-huh. So what am I saying? I'm saying that it's, you, you know, in terms of there isn't a hierarchy mm. because <clears throat> yeah. it's an individual experience, isn't it? Yeah. One of your um, one of your case studies, um, I think it's a woman called Claire, um, yes. lost a baby very early on and, and named her Maggie. Mm. And like how how important is that, do you think, to, to give names to, to babies lost even early on? I think um, you might hear me saying this a lot this evening, but it depends on the individual. Mm. I I think it's important for somebody to... I think it's an important thing for somebody to name that baby to to kind of realise or to kind of recuperate that relationship they have with their baby. If that baby was real and real for them and de- deserving of a name, as we do for all our loved ones, you know, it's it's... Uh, it's it's a primal primal thing, isn't it, mm. to give give your loved one a name? Um, so I think it's really I think it's really helpful actually for so I certainly talk to to women and men who might be kind of dithering about it and don't feel they can entitled to or they've got mm-hmm. the right to. Of course they have, and actually when they do, there's, that's that's a sort of an acknowledgement of the of their family member that never made it. Yeah. Um, but but it doesn't mean that I would sort of say to someone, I think you ought to name it. No, yeah. <laughs> um, but absolutely, and I, I think you only have to go on to, for example, I mean, I write about the um, Stars of Remembrance page and the Forget Me Not page of, of Memorial website on the Miscarriage Association, of which there are many. That's just one. There are loads online. Yeah. Uh, of it's I find it deeply moving and you know, hundreds and hundreds of named babies these are people um you obviously find it really valuable and an important mm. um cap to that I suppose it gives you something more tangible to to miss to grieve you know and to remember yes and it's just an expression of something real mm. that happened you know this mm. baby you know came into my body and then and then left it didn't make it and that that really did happen um and that's something that question of that sort of i i mean i, I know i dig into this in my book and i'm sorry for preempting your questions but it keys into that whole essential uh paradoxical difficult liminal state of a miscarried baby you know where does it reside in the world yeah. is it a person is it not is it a baby is it not am i a mum am i not am mm-hmm. i a parent am i not this unanswerability which makes it so difficult to talk about and think about but you know naming it is one way to say this baby happened and this is what yeah. and this baby was a part of my life and I will never forget it and I love this baby quite often it, I love this baby you know expressions of love also go with those names absolutely and actually you know um I want to skip forward a bit to to late miscarriage which sure. is what you you know what you my describe first, in yeah. so much detail in the book and it's I mean I cried thank you for connecting but it's, no but it's so it's such a kind of beautifully emotionally put but you know um we in our kind of community there's a few people who've gone through these very late miscarriages 21 weeks 22 mm. weeks and it's described as a miscarriage still mm. rather than a stillbirth mm. and that a lot of these babies show signs of life they live for a few minutes you know a few hours do you think that's a problem this language that we use to describe babies that do show signs of life um, I, I definitely, you're onto something, and, and this is something I also look at in my book, that um, the inadequacy of the word miscarriage mm-hmm. full stop yeah. at whatever gestation. It's, it, it's. I think a lot of women find it a kind of reductive, and if not kind of blamey word, you know, as yeah. if, you know, I, I, I did something wrong, there's a sort of mistake, or I... Yeah. I um, 
so yes I, I haven't come up with any kind of good alternative but um a, a miscarriage tends to kind of bring to the I think it's fair to say to the average person's mind an an early miscarriage which you know historically was just a sort of oh oh, there there this kind of happens and get on with it type thing um but yeah it doesn't kind of capture what can often be a kind of grueling labor experience and a, a a baby that is a recognizable baby well I mean giving you know having to give birth to a baby on a labour ward, when it's unlikely, very unlikely, it will survive, that must be just horrible. I mean, it must be so difficult. What, are there any kind of signs of, of change that, that there that is might cam- change? There is campaign work to kind of reduce the, the, um, the, the um, legal boundary between stillbirth and miscarriage down a bit to 22 mm-hmm. weeks 20 weeks but it, it's it's such a kind of you can imagine kind of fraught area it keys into the uh, the laws around abortion and viability and at the moment you know that the kind of viability is around 24 weeks with good medical research um but yes there is a lot of campaign work and and the uh recent bill that has just been passed um this year tim lawton's private members bill has gone into gone to law now and so there is going to be a huge review that's just Mm -hmm. been rubber stamped into this very question about um providing some sort of certification for late losses um they won't be registered as stillbirth but they'll be that they're inquiring and doing a big kind of research a pregnancy pregnancy loss review is doing that so yeah there are moves afoot but it's a very fraught area you i mean you say in the book that some there are hospitals that offer kind of um i don't really know what's like dummy birth certificates yeah sort of of certificates of birth they're 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 kind of um yeah facsimiles or they're kind of created by the hospital or indeed sans the charity provide them and miscarriage association miscarriage association provide them and for a lot of people, that's, you know, that's really important and soothing. And as, again, it goes back to like naming. It's mm, a sort yeah. of acknowledgement that this baby existed. Um, but I think I put in my case study and I certainly sort of felt like, it's sort of, it's a bit too phony. It's not good enough. <laughs> I mean, you, you say in the book that it's one to two percent of babies, was that right, are, are born at this stage? I do. And I'm... I, I just want to, I I do, and I'm very um, lily livered about my research in in the book because it's so confusing. Yeah. And um, I had to wrap really cold towels around my head so many times to to get my head around it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I was talking with a researcher in Tommy's who, you know, was with me. Um, I've sat with um, leading Tommy's researcher who throws his hands up in the air and sort of says, you know, we can't pin it down because the research is so difficult to do, as you can imagine. Yeah. Only certain clinical, clinically recognised pregnancies are mm-hmm. kind of going to be recruited and um, every single paper will use different variables and different age groups and different... So it's very difficult to unify. So that's my precursor. But yes, it's very, very rare, a late miscarriage. And I mean, how do the kind of emotions of people going through it differ from those suffering earlier losses do you think it's i don't i don't want to use words like worse because no. i don't i i don't think it, it is worse necessarily it can it is necessarily worse yeah I, going again going back to this hierarchy of grief um i so i'm very resistant to say that but mm. i think there is a truth to the fact that your, your the physicality of it is mm. often bigger, and you know I had three earlier miscarriages after, mm-hmm. and I, you know I didn't carry those babies so long, um, and I didn't have to go through what I went through for that. So that that in itself was so grueling and traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fair to say that although some early miscarriages can be extremely traumatic with a huge amount of blood loss, and you know. A, I've certainly spoken to women who definitely have trauma symptoms after early miscarriages, but of course the you know, the visceral experience of a late miscarriage is such um, that will have its own emotional repercussions. The other thing that I talk about that, w- that isn't talked about, and that's why I wrote about it, is that with a late miscarriage, you m- most probably lactate. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and that can happen yeah. as early as 16 weeks. And that in itself can bring a whole realm yeah. of, of, you know, you've, you've delivered the baby, you've got over that. And in my case, things have changed. And I do campaign for this. But in my day, I was sent home and nobody told me my milk was going to come in. Uh-huh. So three days I am there, I'm kind of still bleeding, reeling from the kind of shock of what, you know, I don't think I was... Um, I think I was in another world, but then my boobs fill up with milk. Um, and so there are decisions to be made about that and how you want, and, and that in itself can, can, you know, there's a whole other kind of onslaught for your body to go through, which is highly unlikely to happen before about 16 weeks. It's like a cruel biological reminder mm. of what's just happened. It is a cruel biological, I, I experienced that, I, I couldn't bear it, but I, but I, I was really fascinated in the research that I did and, um, you know, I do write about that actually for, for some women it's um, it can be quite soothing and an honouring of their baby and for some women that, and, I, uh, and this does happen after stillbirth too, that some women actually want to keep their milk going as a kind of a link to their baby and I get that. I mean, I didn't at the time, but I get that now. Um, and that it can also provide a sort of rhythm to the day to, to be milking when you're mm. in that just horror and grief. And to give that milk away is, mm. is an amazingly powerful gift to, to, to have, to do rather. So, yes, I mean, it, it can be responded to in a variety of ways. I suppose um, kind of almost like you said, knowledge that that might happen would probably give yeah. you better preparation for it um yes. and it comes back to your kind of discussion around the additional kind of framework that's being placed into into the hospitals now so that yeah you know that kind of thing doesn't happen you don't just go home and get a surprise no and um and I wrote about in the book you know I'm really delighted there's something called the national um, bereavement care pathway that has been implemented and is being rolled out and this is fantastic and um I, I just, when I first sort of read it, big thumbs up to in it, there is um, attention made to kind of lactation and offering women the, the chance to donate that milk if they want to, mm-hmm. um, which I think will be really, really helpful for some women in, in, in the depths of grief. Mm. Absolutely. Makes sense. Okay. Um, on to early miscarriages. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, you know, the phrase that you use is a child in mind, which I really like mm. the idea of. But you yeah. use these... I, I was fascinated by the historical example that you use of Queen Mary. Her phantom pregnancy. Her phantom pregnancy. And her... So I, I had no idea about this. So her belly expanded. Her belly expanded, according to historical records. And she had all the symptoms. But apparently, as much as we can glean... Um, yes, and we'll never know quite what went on. And there are various kind of medical historians who sort of conjecture that there might have been a tumour or um, a cyst or... Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was a tremendous pressure on her to bear fruit. And mm. who knows, I can only imagine that she was not only sort of politically pressured, but but wanted to be a mum too. Absolutely. And I find it kind of agonising. Awful. And um, I think I sort of said this, but I, I remember as a kid being... Um, sort of prurently interested in it. it was sort of pitched to me as a kid in the classroom as this slightly kind of deranged hysterical yeah crazy lady. crazy lady yeah but you know now I sort of see it with a very different lens yeah absolutely um I mean I I know that going through infertility as as we've said mm-hmm. you know getting that negative pregnancy test every month sometimes several times a month mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I experienced a huge amount of grief and then yeah. when I had a failed transfer of or a failed IVF round yeah. essentially hate that word failed but yeah okay mm. <laughs> unsuccessful I I felt real grief like horrible horrible grief did. and yeah. I spent you know a few days just lying on this sofa yeah. just miserable um I'm sure you know that that kind of grief is not acknowledged no it or it, certainly when you're going through it it feels like well I don't have an event I can link it to yeah therefore I haven't lost something. I've had a, you know, I've had this, but my friend lost twins. So she's had a worse time. How can we kind of help people acknowledge that grief? 
uh, well, I'm going to arrogantly say everyone should read my first chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I think it's education, isn't it? And I think the stuff that you're doing here with your podcast and Mm -hmm. the, the blogging and the advocacy work to educate people that, as you say, that grief is really real because that relationship with that child and mine is real. And the experience of of uh, of yearning for a for a child for a really really long time and as you guys have been through fertility treatments so yeah as I said I'm only I'm only guessing there was a certain amount of trying before you even step through the clinic that could be two five ten years of 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 that occupying your mind so the weight of grief that that gets dashed of course is going to be commensurate with that well roughly mm-hmm. um so I don't have an easy answer to that, but just to keep on educating people. Um, and, you know, historically, there's the, the, reproduct, the reproductive losses have just been hushed away and, and sort of seen to be, yes, a part of nature, but not kind of dismiss the whole experience with it just because it's common, just because it happens. Mm, yeah. There's this whole other realm to, that goes on that we can now, there is more space being made for, thank goodness you know, in recent years. So, yeah, as I say, I'm, uh, I haven't got a, a neat answer for that one, I'm afraid. It's, it's funny because I guess you have, I mean, and we'll talk a little bit about how other people react mm-hmm. to baby loss later, but people kind of dismiss it, or people outside our community, definitely. Mm-hmm. And you get all the kind of just relax comments, go on holiday, my friend did this and that worked mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And it, it feels like, you're going crazy because you're like, why Why am I so upset about this? It's mm. just another month of nothing. Mm. Mm. So, but you, it is grief. Of course it is. And I, I, I just think that is uh, largely a lack of education. Those people who haven't, as you say, you get so much um, solace and soothing from the from your the kindred spirits of those who've, who've been there, your pregnancy mm-hmm. loss community, your infertility community. But kind of that there is a kind of rubicon to cross Mm, to those and that that is about education Mm -hmm. um and there's lots and lots of reasons why i i think that we kind of shy shy away from that too but um yeah this this is what your work's about is bridging that gap and explaining to people um I also, I really liked how you talked about the kind of connection that we feel to embryos when we're going yeah. through fertility treatment. Because, you know, I started off, I think I, I got 14 eggs and 11 embryos. Wow. And then, yeah. That's about, a bumper right? harvest. Um, Surprise, every, <laughs> every time that number fell, I cried. Yeah. And my husband was like, oh, for fuck's sake, Emma. <laughs> Chill out, we've still got loads. Um, <laughs> he's from Yorkshire. Um <laughs> I thought it was Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it. I mean, it is very hard, but I, at the same time, I kind of, I shied away from language like MBs and frosties because right. I thought it kind of anthropomorphised them. Right. Is there a balance that you can strike or should you just kind of go for it? Whatever you feel. I don't think you can control it. I don't think it's a decision. I mean, you tell me, but you feel what you feel. And if mm-hmm. you have a huge emotional con- connection to your MBs, then telling yourself not to is just not going to work. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I just don't buy it. And I get it. You know, you have spent, uh, going back to this idea, you might have spent 10 years to get to that stage. No wonder they're invested with so much. I use the word love. Because that's what I feel like when, mm. I, when I hear people talk about it. That, but, you know, if you if you are kind of off a fuck's egg, it's just an MB, and that's what you feel. Then you can't work against that, can you? Can't you can't you can't um, synthesize a love or a, mm. or an investment in that? Um, and being told, you know, don't get too attached. It's a bit like saying, oh, don't don't worry, chill mm. out. I mean, these words just challenge me, but I, I just don't <laughs> think I don't think these words work. No, we no. feel what we feel. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's some, you know, you can have some sensible advice about being kind of pragmatic about, you know, the being realistic about the, and pragmatic about the, the odds of IVF and your your MB's not making it. Um, I wouldn't encourage someone to go and buy a buggy when they've just been told their MB's have got to Bastocyte stage. Yeah. Yeah, but we can't. We can't, you know, not feel and uh, feel. We feel and and I I hear what you say that that was real grief when mm-hmm. and uh, 
I'm using quote marks with my fingers here, the failed IVF, (laughs) in my experience, can feel at times, not with every couple, not with every woman, Mm. but I've sat with a woman whose IVF cycle hasn't worked and it can feel very much, the narrative can be very much like I've had a miscarriage. That's just my experience. Of course, not, you know, not with everyone, but yeah. yeah. Well, there's an investment there, an emotional investment that can't be erased. There's a huge emotional investment there. And, well, yeah, and physical, Agony. but like, I and, think, yeah. And I don't need to sort of state the blinding obvious. You guys are the real experts here, but, when, you know, in an IVF cycle, the reproductive, the, 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 uh, the, the process is broken down into little steps, isn't it? Mm. You're up front and close. You don't, yeah. you, you are confronted with every single stage and that investment will build up in each stage. If you're lucky enough just to have nice or nasty sex or whatever but to, to conceive you, you you know you just find out you're you're completely oblivious to what's yeah. going on inside your body what mm-hmm. that egg has done and what that whether it's got to from zygote to blastocyst and whether the womb lining is the right thickness and blah 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 so that and i think you know by the very nature of the the fertility process being sort of broken down that that heightens up our our investment and our bonding and our relationship mm, with it. Mm, I mean, mm-hmm. you tell me. Um, yeah, should we talk a little bit about um, pregnancies that are kind of deemed, should we say, biologically impossible? Um, things like ectopic yeah. and molar pregnancies. Yeah. Um, do people going through that end up kind of, I don't know, do you kind of blame yourself? Do you blame your body? I, th- I think women blame themselves for every pregnancy or or or, or in my experience also for infertility too i think women root back a reason or an answer for for their pregnancy going awry to themselves often mm. i very rarely hear about any type of pregnancy loss without without a sense of blame creeping in or guilt um the thing about the kind of ectopic molar uh, pregnancies in my again in my experience when I write about it is that they tend to be a bit more kind of medicalized mm. you know they're just that you know they're they're just sort of off the kind of normal trajectory um there tends to be more medical intervention you know if you have an ectopic pregnancy can be uh, life-threatening mm. and it can involve yeah. some ser- you know surgery and all of that so because it's more medicalized and that the kind of that intrusion can really corrupt a woman's sort of sense of all you know what was it a pregnancy then am i entitled mm. to feel like this was my little my my baby because you don't know it's motor or ectopic until it goes horribly, ar- horribly wrong, wrong. But the guilt point, I think, would apply to any. It does. And I think it comes back to the point about language as well, that the language is kind of blame. There's blame oh. inherent in all of the, the language that we use, yeah. which is just... So hostile wrong. mucus yes. failed hostile. pregnancy failed pregnancy i have the ignominy of an incompetent service you probably noticed i used the word weak earlier yes um yeah. but uh yeah that's fading out and there are real efforts to replace that but it is still it is still used women being told to chill out and relax mm. like it's their fault have, i don't know is your were either your your other halves um advised to chill out and relax no, I don't think. Well, my one is chilled. Was telling me to chill out, actually. <laughs> Love you, babe. No, definitely not. He wasn't advised that at all. <laughs> um, I mean, one one of the things that I found really interesting about when you were talking about um, the, these biologically impossible pregnancies, yeah. um, so you said a bond with a future child doesn't always have to be bound up with the existence of a biological pos- biologically possible baby or its viability, mm. um, because I. I I feel like people are so dismissive when they talk yeah. about, like, oh, it was ectopic, so it wasn't going to work yep, out anyway. quite. But are the people I know who've had ectopic pregnancies devastated. Well, of course, but I think this goes back to, it's the same deal about MBs or an unconceived child. Yeah. That bond is real. I've got Hilary Mantel running around my head, you know, that to, to go back up and answer your question, if someone wants to be educated about a child and mind, read read uh, Hilary Mantel's memoir, Giving Up the Ghost. You know, I don't think I've met a better writer who who sums up, you know, over a series of pages of, of, you know, what it feels like to have a really profound bond and grief with a child that never is realised. You know, she never did conceive through a horrible endometriosis. Mm-hmm. 
But I digress. Um, okay, we've got a drill joining us. That's nice. <laughs> nice to meet you, drill. Yes. <laughs> it's just drilling home our points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, so, yeah, I think, I think again, the, going back to that idea about kind of the minimising of pregnancy loss because it wasn't quite a baby yeah and if it wasn't biologically a baby then even more of a reason to sort of say what what's what's the fuss about it what couldn't have been real mm-hmm. completely bypassing um the psychological and emotional reality which is a yeah. whole different thing okay um i'm gonna say let's take a break now sure and we're actually going to do this as a two-parter so julia thank you for joining us this week my pleasure. We'll be back it's next week. Real... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, this has been a great conversation. We'll pick this up. Thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now it's time for IVF. What the F? F. Um, listeners, I, I've, I've got to come clean. We recorded a really funny intro to this <laughs> in which we couldn't stop laughing, but I forgot to hit actual record. So it was just us talking about, oh, I'm going to say the word, blozzers. <laughs> Emma's face when I said blogger was, was priceless. Uh, why, you must be wondering, were we talking about blozzers? Um, <laughs> basically, this week we have been asking Professor Tim whether uh, saliva is detrimental to sperm health. Why are we talking about that, Gabriella? Because sometimes saliva gets near sperm. Right. Because sometimes... You do blozzers in the sexual uh, proceedings. But surely if one is performing a blozzer, <laughs> the sperm is not necessarily going to be used for procreation. Uh, well, there could be a blozzer as a kind of precursor to, to uh, the rest of the action. Ah. As a kind of, you know. Ah, yeah. yeah like a warm-up. A warm-up. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's quite a common thing. So you do combinations of acts. Eh? Yeah, yeah. You I'm very much, up. very much a one-act girl. <laughs> Can I just say I'm not? I don't want to let my husband uh, tell. She's a one-trick pony. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to keep a regimented regime. <laughs> what is it today, dear? <laughs> <laughs> There's a menu. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so um, way back when I first started to um, try to conceive... Uh, I read an article on the Sun, which is not the the most trustworthy fertility bible. Source, no, um, <laughs> but it did say that could blowjobs um, to give them their proper term <laughs> uh, could they 
uh, be actually damaging to to your chances of conception. Did they say blowjobs or did they say fellatio? Oh, they. I mean, it's the sun. They almost. They probably said blazer. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like tabloids can be quite prudish when it comes to things like that. Like they'll have. I mean, they probably actually said oral sex. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. They like to use their scientific names when it comes to writing about that stuff, but they also love to have some twenty-year-old with her wabs out. On page three. They do. It's confusing. Yes, it is. Um, but anyway, it, yeah. it did play on my mind. Did it? Yes. Did for it some play time. on Mr. Gabby's mind as well? Not as much. <laughs> because I'd already taken baths away from him and the occasional cigarette. And I just didn't think it was possible to take blowjobs away from him as well. Oh, you're so, so considerate. I kind of kept it to myself. Yeah. But did secretly worry about it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was, but it's not something that I thought we would ask Professor Tim, I have to say. But you did. Until a listener wrote in and asked us to, and I thought, well, okay then, if he <laughs> wants to, then let's go for it. Okay, and here's what he said. Indeed. So no, um, so I was not harmful to uh, sperm, and I can't think of any reason really why um, couples should avoid oral sex um, when trying to conceive it's really not going to be uh, affecting the quality of the sperm when vaginal um, intercourse then takes place and the same is true for uh, if IVF is being used and the guy's producing a sample in the IVF unit if there's been oral sex a few days beforehand that's not going to have affected the quality of sperm on the day of the egg collection. Thanks Professor Tim. Um, yeah, uh, what's happened this week? Well, I had some bleeding. Did you? Well, I'm not going to say bleeding, actually. That sounds a bit... I had a bit of blood. Yeah. That's more accurate. And um, I'm going to explain what happened. And it's not... As you may know, I don't like talking about scatological things. I do know that. But um, I am going to mention it just because it might be something that other people experience. And, you know, if I had known that this was a possibility, I might have felt a bit better about it. (laughs) Now you're making me feel bad. Um, So (laughs) basically, I'll stop being so mysterious. Um, As as everybody knows, um, pregnant ladies do sometimes suffer from uh, constipation. We do. And after a, I'm going to say particularly troubling time in the bathroom, I uh, had some tiny bits of blood from my lady bits, mm-hmm. which was confusing. Yes. Why is it going to come out there when your trouble was elsewhere? <laughs> 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 but it wasn't like loads. So I wasn't like that alarmed. I was like, oh, okay, that's a bit strange. Whatever, I'll keep an eye on it. Because the hematoma is gone, right? The hematoma has supposedly gone, yes. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it was a little bit and I was like, oh, okay, oh, whatever. And then it happened the next day as well. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to probably go. call the midwife. Yeah. And, um, well, no, first, before I did that, I told you. You did. And you helpfully told me that A, it had happened to you already yeah. as well. And B, you sent me some... Um, Reading material. Some literature. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for not having told you before. No, it's fine. I mean, why would you bring that up? Well, because we talk about that kind of thing on this podcast yeah. all the time. Yeah. And and yes, I didn't mention that all that a lot of the bleeding happened during those occasions. Mm. But um, I just thought it was really, really gross. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but don't worry, I'm fearlessly telling the nation. <laughs> I just thought about the fact that some of my colleagues listen to this. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking about who's listening to this. Okay. Uh, if I do I'll probably stop talking Um, so anyway I was I felt a bit better after I read the literature Mm -hmm. and I called but I called the midwife anyway and she just said she didn't sound too alarmed but equally she didn't tell me oh that's really normal don't worry about it so she kind of said look why don't you go along to the walk-in clinic at the EPU tomorrow and just have a check and EPU stands for early Early pregnancy pregnancy unit um and so I was like, okay, fair enough. So next day, which was a Saturday, I uh, 
took myself and uh, Mr Gabby along to the EPU, only to find that it is closed on a Saturday. Oh. Yes. So um, I think the midwife may have got her days mixed up. Yeah. And so, but there was a woman there, it was all closed up, but there was a woman there obviously manning it or whatever. And she said, look, we could probably see you, but you have to go through A&E and get referred up to us. And I was like, this really isn't an A&E situation. I do not feel comfortable going to A&E and presenting my really minuscule problem. NHS resources, mate. I know. I was kind of like, mm, but I popped my head in just to see. I was like, maybe it'll be empty and no <laughs> no people will be in there having emergencies. But of course, that's not the case, no. is it? That's never going to be the case. No. Funny. Funny. So, yeah, we went in and we were like, both me and Mr. Gabby we were both a bit like, oh, this isn't right. Let's not let's not do this. Let's whatever. So we left. And um, yeah, I mean, I haven't. it hasn't happened since. Okay. Touch um, wood. Touch wood. Touching wood, yes. Uh, and yeah, I think... I think it's I think it's fine. Like I was never particularly alarmed about it. It's just never great, is it? Seeing blood. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not our favourite things. No. Um, but yeah, I'm going to. I saw it tomorrow. Separately, I have a doctor's appointment at the antenatal clinic. Okay. Which I'm kind of a little bit unclear about what the purpose is, but I think it's because my midwife was like asking me about IVF, asking me what drugs I was on and kind of, I think they do it maybe as a kind of like, they want you to speak to someone who understands maybe the drugs you've been on and what the treatment you've had. Who can kind of translate it to them. I don't, I think that's what's happening. I didn't get that sort of treatment. I know, it's kind of, I don't don't really understand. Anyway, that's what's happening tomorrow morning. You're special. Yeah, but I'm going to be there. So I'm kind of thinking... Do I nip into the EPU and see if they can have a little check see? Why not? Mm. I, I feel like it hasn't happened since. I should probably just forget about it. Yeah, but it's better to be safe than sorry. The midwife did tell me to check. She did tell you to check. Yeah. I so. think it's remiss that you haven't checked already. Perhaps. Perhaps, Emma. Um so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna swing in and see okay. what the situation is. Okay. If it feels like they're super busy with actual real emergencies and again I'll just leave well yeah but other than all of that yeah you're I'm okay pretty good yeah that's good yeah I'm happy for you thanks mate how are you uh in short I'm okay I um I've just suddenly got really big which is kind of exciting mm-hmm. um I've been reading the internet recently and reading books and stuff. And they, they've told me that at my stage of pregnancy, I should have packed my hospital bag by now. Oh. I am 33 weeks today. Mm-hmm. The thing about packing hospital bags, like you can put a nightie in or whatever. Mm. Pajamas. Don't know which one. I don't really like nighties. They remind me too much of my mum. Sorry, mum. Um... <laughs> But you always have to include all this baby shit. You have to have, like, nappies and baby grows and muslins and things. And it just all smacks of, I'm going to come out with an alive baby, which seems very sure of oneself. And, I mean, we talked about this a bit earlier, and you said, man the fuck up, basically. Well... I'm not allowed to say man up anymore, actually. No, no. No. Just, like... Don't put... Those gender normative words no. in my mouth. <laughs> I probably did say that, to be fair. Did I, I shouldn't say that. I can't remember what I said. I'm not going to say that anymore. But what I said was... Deal with it. You're going to have to deal with this yeah. because there is a baby coming and you are just going to have to deal with it. Because it's coming quite coming. soon now. Yeah, it is coming quite soon. And so I guess I have to... I mean, the thing is, my mum has been out and bought loads of stuff. I know, because she sent me a picture. Yes, seen it yeah and and that's really cool and really helpful but that's all at her house Mm, mm -hmm. it's not at my house no i think the point of a hospital bag is that it's within reach yes so so do i have to go out and buy that stuff and in that case i mean we've spent the last eight months talking about not jinxing it and then talking about how there's no such thing as jinxing but then also talking about not jinxing it and i just feel like Going out and buying baby grows and nappies is really jinxing it. 
No, it's not. There's no such thing as jinxing. I just... I don't know. And the other thing is that we have to write the birth plan. I've always heard people talk about birth plans and be like, oh my god, like, what is this? Are we all hippies now? But I, then I spoke to the midwife and was like, is it actually helpful? And she was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful. It's it's actually really normal. So I thought it was like a kind of airy-fairy, like, I don't know, hippie yeah. thing to and do. breathe the baby out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we have to sit down and write this birth plan. And like all I can think of is that I would please like to come home with a healthy baby. Please. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you get it out. I don't care if you have to get a giant ice cream scoop. And scoop it out. <laughs> I don't care if I'm a broken woman afterwards. I mean, I've, I say I'm, I'm being so kind of breezy about this. People have really traumatic births. But all I can think is, like, I just want to come home with a healthy baby. Like, mm. honestly, I'd rather not have forceps or an episiotomy. If I can possibly help it. Because they're gross. Um really painful sounding mm-hmm. but other than that like <clears throat> if they have to wheel me into a theatre like I you know I don't care mm. it's gonna hurt but I've I've had loads of surgery before and it always hurts and I always get over it so I don't know I just it it all feels like this weird unnecessary part of this like very difficult journey that we've been through yeah but I think like for a lot of women, and especially for people who've been through IVF, mm. where nothing went to plan and nothing was your choice, it was just you had to do what you had to do. You couldn't just go and get a nice posh hotel in the Cotswolds, shag a couple of times, drink yeah. some red wine and get up the duff. Like, this has been, like, meticulously planned and kind of, but also a little bit out of your control. Yeah. So, like, maybe kind of... Although, obviously, we all know that birth birth plans it can all go out the window. But, like, having some semblance of, like, this is what I would like yeah. to happen. If this doesn't happen, then so be it. But this is what I would quite like. I think, I wonder if people who've been through fertility treatment have two ways of approaching this whole birth thing. Mm. Either they feel like they need to be super in control because they've been, like... We can say that we've been fairly in control of our conception in that we have known when everything has happened mm. and we have known every single stage. Mm. Obviously, it's an illusion of control because we've had no fucking control at all. Exactly. Um, or I wonder if people who've been through fertility treatment are more chilled about giving birth because they've had no fucking control over anything. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. It's, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure everyone's different, right? There's no broad yeah. brushstrokes here. Yeah, we're all different. We're all just fucking happy to I'm be here. I'm just trying to come up with patterns. <laughs> patterns don't I'm trying to come up with a thesis about this. Yes, exactly. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. I was just walking along being like, I wonder if we're more or less of a control freak than yeah, other people. I think, well, what's probably almost certainly true is because it's not so much control that you have when you're doing um, fertility treatments. It's it's more knowledge that you have. Yeah, that's true. So so you probably, when you go into birth, maybe you want to know what the fuck's going on and know yeah. everything. Like, where's that probe going? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, well, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. None yeah. of us have had any control. Otherwise, we no. would have got pregnant when we went to the Cotswolds. Yeah. Because that would have been nice. What a lovely trip that would have been. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I still feel very uncomfortable letting baby grows nappies into my house. Yes. But I also accept that these things have to happen. They do, mate. I did offer to get them for you. You did. And hide them somewhere that only John is aware of. But, yeah. I mean, I don't I, know. I think you can do it. I don't know how comfortable he is with it, to be honest. <laughs> he goes through spurts of being comfortable with things. Yeah. And then spurts of not. He likes to be organised though, so I think he yeah, would he appreciate does. the organisation. Yeah. Um, other than that, this week I had a little bleed this morning. Oh God, both of us. I know. And, and it really, it was almost invisible. Was it, it the same situation as me? <laughs> no, if you know what I mean. it wasn't. <laughs> um, it was, and, and like I've had a couple the last couple of weeks, right, where I've had like a little smear in my pants or like 
Yeah. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> Little brown smear. <laughs> but not that wow, kind. Wow, going there. <laughs> um, or I've had like a tiny bit when I've wiped. And each time I've been like, oh, well. So the first time I rang the midwife and she was like, I, I think, did I talk about this the other day? She was like, have you had sex? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay then. That's it. Basically, stop wasting my time. <laughs> was was essentially her tone. Um, and then it happened again, and I was like, oh, it's not, it's not anything. There's not very much. And then it happened again today, and I just phoned the midwife and I was like, look, it's almost invisible. If I hadn't been looking for it, I probably wouldn't have seen it. Right. Okay. But um, I, it's happened three times now. So and, I thought I'd give you. a call. And sorry to be so. Um direct but was sex involved these last two times no <laughs> it's not that frequent mate <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> just tell me <laughs> i mean the first time well, was a miracle let's not go there <laughs> um yeah it so and she was like a nice lady with a very reassuring irish accent oh, nice. and she basically said look if it gets like heavy or red worry or if you're having like period cramps worry mm. If you're not, chill out. And so I'm chilled. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. So that's my life, basically, right now. Chilled. Good. Sounds good. Chilled and with a large shopping list. Yeah. I'm just relaxed. Ugh, don't Mm. say that. Oh, (laughs) gross. I'm not. I've never been relaxed in my life. I'm not going to start now. that's it for another week it is um we had a lovely time hope you did yes um we will be back with more chats to julia yeah next week it moves on doesn't it the chat it does move on it does move on i think you know as you say it's not the easiest of listens but it is important yeah so yeah more of that next week and more of professor tim and probably more of us yeah absolutely twatting on twatting on um do have a good week please have a good week yes absolutely goodbye bye It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.